As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Not all babies can fall asleep independently. Some can, but many cannot. Many need help to calm themselves and regulate their nervous systems in order to be able to drift off to sleep. And that's normal. And a lot of this is more of a temperamental state. It's more of based on your baby's temperament and personality. That is like a skill that they need to learn or you need to teach them how to put themselves to sleep. Getting pregnant and giving birth are two of the most exciting things you can ever hope to experience in this life. The moment you think you could be pregnant, you're frantically searching for all the best information, which is why you're here today. I'm Stephanie King, and with my many years of experience as a professional childbirth educator, doula, and lover of all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, I'm here to make preparing for your birth enjoyable, empowering, and totally easy. Each week, I'll cover different topics, interview professionals, and get into the nitty-gritty birth stories from mamas just like you. And when you're ready for more, you can join me in the My Essential Birth course at myessentialbirth.com, where I take you step-by-step through exactly how to prepare your mind, body, spirit, and partner for a birth you love. So let's get started. It's time. The My Essential Birth postpartum course is here. Whether you're pregnant, just got baby home, or weeks and months into postpartum, this is the course for you. No more wondering what's normal for your body postpartum, if baby's eating or pooping enough, or how to get a good latch. You now have an all-in-one resource where you can click a topic and get the answer. Learn more at myessentialbirth.com forward slash postpartum and add it onto the My Essential Birth course for even less when you bundle them at checkout. Already in the course? Check your student library and add the course for the same discount. I can't wait to support you on your postpartum journey. All right. This week's reviewer of the week is Hello TRB, and she says, Natural Birth Achieved. As I was pregnant with my second kiddo, I started to routinely listen to this podcast. I wanted a natural birth so bad as my first one wasn't. I hired a doula, read natural childbirth books, and was glued to this podcast. On January 19th, 23, I naturally delivered my sweet baby boy and have capitalized never felt so great. I felt like going into this birth, I knew what my options were. The most important thing I learned from this podcast was deep breathing and meditation. Stephanie, you suggested practicing it every night, and so I did. I truly feel that's what got me through each contraction in a manageable way. Thank you. Um, thank you for your sweet review, and I love when you guys put this stuff into action. Congratulations on your baby. I mean, just about a month now. That's really exciting. Um, and I'm excited for today's podcast episode um, and interviewee as well, because we are here to talk to you 
you. And this is kind of perfect for you as a new mom um, for this reviewer because we're talking about baby sleep. And so as we move into that postpartum period, I know this is something that every mom is going to have to deal with. Um, and I think it's exciting to know what's normal and when it's not normal, what can I do? How can I make it a positive experience and all of those kinds of questions, which I'm hoping we get to answer here today. Um, so without further ado, Taylor, will you take a moment and introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. Hi, I'm Taylor Kulik. I am an occupational therapist turned holistic sleep specialist. So um, basically what I do is I help support families with sleep who do not want to sleep train. That's kind of my my passion. I started out as a new mom with a baby who just wasn't following any of the sleep rules. I tried sleep training with her. It didn't feel right. And so I was looking for something different. And I basically became the, the resource that I wanted as a new mom. So um, that's what I do. Yeah. I love that. Um, talk to me a little bit about, or maybe you can answer for women who are listening, what is sleep training and versus kind of what you do? What is the difference? But but even just like a small definition of what is sleep training? Yeah, good question because everybody has their own unique definition of sleep training. So I do think it's important to define terms. So my definition, my basic definition of sleep training is anything that's non-responsive. Um, so you're ignoring your baby's cries or you are not responding to their signals for, it could be for a short period of time. So there are some sleep training approaches that um, kind of call themselves gentle or, or another word like that. And they'll start off by saying, you know, don't just don't respond to your baby's cries for two minutes or four minutes or whatever. And then it kind of gets longer and longer. Or there are some approaches that just say, you know, let them cry it out. Let them let your baby just cry until they fall asleep. Um, and there's other things in between these things too. There's different strategies. I have kind of a more extensive definition of sleep training. That's my basic sleep training, but also anything that goes against a parent's intuition that feels wrong, um, trying to force baby onto a schedule, whether that's a feeding schedule or a sleep schedule that they're just not ready for, or their development, it's not developmentally appropriate for them. So all of those things could be sleep training. And I always say, you know, it's tricky too, because it depends on the child and it depends on the caregiver that is supporting that child. Because one strategy or technique might not might not be sleep training to one um, parent baby di- dyad so it might feel fine to them that baby might be fine with you know mom being at the other side of the room just supporting with words that might feel okay to that family but for another family maybe they have a really highly sensitive baby that really needs closeness and proximity and that technique feels really really bad and that baby is not able to co-regulate just with mom's words across the room so sleep training can also look different from family to family um in terms of how it's different from my approach is you know I always say I don't really have an approach I don't provide any step-by-step strategies necessarily. My main role is to re-educate parents about what normal, biologically and developmentally normal infant and toddler and child sleep looks like, why our children and babies are behaving and feeding and crying the way that they do. And then if there are true sleep issues, figuring out what is the root cause of those sleep issues? Because it's not that mom or dad is responding to that baby. That is not the cause of the sleep issue. The cause of the sleep issue could be 
a wide range of things. It could be a medical issue. It could be a scheduling issue. It could be an environmental issue. So there are lots of potential things and factors that can impact sleep. And so my job is really helping parents get kind of be an investigator and think, okay, what are the factors that are within my control that I can help my baby optimize their sleep? And then, so that's one step of it, kind of one layer. And then beyond that, sometimes families are in these um, kind of habits or patterns that it's just not working for them. So for an example, maybe mom is breastfeeding baby to sleep all the time. Nobody can get baby to sleep another way. And that's not bad in and of itself. That is totally fine. It's normal for babies to feed to sleep, but maybe it's not working for that family or that mom for whatever reason. So there are things we can do to respectfully still respond to baby's needs, but try to kind of shift patterns so that maybe a mom or another caregiver is supporting baby to sleep in a different way some of the time. Um, And we can do that without not responding to our baby's needs. So that's kind of another layer and element of what I help families with. I love that. Um, I want to touch on something just real quick that you shared. And that was you use the example of maybe sometimes it works when baby's on one side of the room, mom's on the other, and she's using, you know, verbal and that's enough for that baby. And that sometimes that wouldn't be. And I think I want to just touch on that for a moment because I will tell you as a new mom with a newborn that when they're so young, you can't tell if they have personality at all or like who they're going to be or like you just have this little baby. And to realize after having a second child and that second newborn being different than the first, that like each little baby comes here with their own personality, their own needs, their own desires. They are their own person. And just like you explained, I mean, from one baby to another, that could be the case. Um, But I think that's important for especially first time moms to hear is that your child comes with specific needs um, and comforts and things that they're going to they're going to need and you'll need to figure that out between you and them from the beginning. Um, And so things like crying and stuff and responding to those needs, I think, is such a basic. um, It kind of seems like common sense, but then we get so many ideas and and information from our pediatricians, from our moms, from our well-meaning friend, from the neighbor that you're like, ah, I'm just trying to make this work. Am I doing what's best? Um, so I really appreciate that you you talked about just that there's a difference from baby to baby even. Um, it makes me a little curious, if you don't mind me asking, where did you get the idea to start sleep training? Were you like, it was coming through on social media or was it your mom? Like, where did that come yeah. for you? Yeah. So I actually wasn't big on social media when I had my first child. So I don't think it was social media. It was more of just, I really was struggling. I had a lot of postpartum anxiety and that anxiety was actually um, exacerbated a lot by sleep because I had, I was reading the blogs. Like I was Googling, you know, I, I was up all night. I was up during nap time when I thought my baby should be sleeping alone in her crib, Googling, how do I get my baby to sleep? Why won't my baby sleep in the crib? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was stumbling across these, you know, people call them mommy blogs, um, or, you know, other basically web pages like that about sleep training and here's how a baby should be sleeping. And, um, and also I think just in terms of our culture, I mean, I don't even think at this point you have to be on social media to, to get the idea that, babies are supposed to be sleeping alone in their crib independently. And that is like the gold standard. That's how they should be sleeping. And if they're not sleeping that way, you have to do something about it. Um, And so that's kind of where I got it. And then I was just up at all hours of the night Googling frantically trying to solve a problem that I thought that I had. Um, When in reality, I didn't have a problem at all. I was just too um, inexperienced as a mom and not in tune with my own tuition to realize that I didn't have a problem. 
Yeah. So at what point were you like, this isn't working for us. I need another way. Like, what was the turning point for you? And was this with your first baby that you realized it? This was with my first baby, who's now almost six. And um, so I didn't try much sleep training. Like I did try, you know, the schedules and the laying, laying her down drowsy, but awake. None of it worked. She had to be nursed to sleep. I would even try, like I was, you know, I heard that you're not supposed to let babies fall asleep when they're nursing. So I would nurse her and then I would like wake her up. I was so stupid. I would wake her up and then put her in the crib awake right? Or drowsy, but awake. And then she would just be awake. And so then I would have to do the whole thing again. It was just exhausting. So I did like that kind of, and I would call that for me, for my situation and my baby, because it wasn't working for her and it was making us all miserable. I would call that sleep training. And then I tried a couple of minutes of like a cry it out approach. And that was kind of the line for me, um, because I have really sensitive high needs babies. Both of my babies are like this. And I let her cry. Um, And, you know, they say, oh, it usually doesn't last very long. And she was just escalating, 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 escalating. And it was only five minutes, but it felt like two hours to me. And I might have tried that two or three times. And then I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Um, There was probably some stuff in between that and the end point. But the end point for me was learning about safe bed sharing. And so that was the only way that she was sleeping was, be, you know, I'd bring her into bed to feed. She would sleep so peacefully and I would, ha- I would wake her up and put her back. I was, she was in the pack and play at the end of our bed. So I would go put her back in the pack and play and she would be awake and she wouldn't go back to sleep and she was crying. So at, she was around six months old when I made this transition. But my husband just said, cause he wasn't getting sleep either. He was sleeping with us in the same bed and, or in the same room. And he said, just let her stay in bed with us because she's sleeping in bed with us. And I'm a healthcare professional. You know, I've learned that it is not okay to bed share. So I was like, no, absolutely not. That is not safe. Um, But I ultimately did it because I wanted my husband to get sleep. I wanted to get sleep. And it was the only way for us. She just reached a point where she would not sleep unless she was next to me. And um, I felt a lot of shame about it, but I started doing it. And then as we're doing this, I'm researching safe bed sharing. I'm I'm like, is it, is it even possible to safely bed share? And lo and behold, I find the work of professor James McKenna. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Nobody has ever told me that this is an option that people are actually, parents are actually out there bed sharing and there's a safe way or safer way to do it. Excuse me. Um, and my life was changed. My world was rocked. I became obsessed with Professor James McKenna's research, Dr. Helen Ball, um, all of these, you know, safe bed sharing and breastfeeding um, advocates and experts. And so I just became really obsessed with like digging into this information. I gained confidence and um, I realized you actually can bed share safely. And I always think it's really interesting because when I would talk to other moms, um, I you know, didn't admit initially that I bed shared, but then as I gained confidence, I started kind of talking about it a little bit and saying, you know, we bed share because, you know, it's the only way she gets sleep and we all sleep better, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, all of these moms came out of the woodworks and started saying, oh yeah, we bed share too. Or, oh yeah, we at least, you know, bed share like the, the last three hours of the night or so. I'm like, huh, that's really interesting. It's like when you open up about it, all of a sudden you're giving these other parents permission to also admit it. Whereas before we're all like hiding in secret and shame, feeling like we're the absolute worst parents in the world. So that was kind of the the game changer for me. And then that's when I started shifting my career to supporting families with sleep. 
That's really neat. Yeah. So, so the occupational therapy, you had done that prior to having your baby and also after having your baby, but it was during this process that you, that you were like, this is where my focus needs to be kind of that passion through the people you mentioned. So it was actually kind of a, a long, a little bit of a longer journey than that because I actually started wanting to specialize in postpartum occupational therapy, which there are some OTs doing this, but it's not like, um, it's not a mainstream OT profession or domain. Um, and so I started specializing just in general postpartum care. I got some pelvic floor, um, therapy education. I got some, I got mental health education. So just like all of the areas and pockets that women are struggling with postpartum. That's what I wanted to help support women with. But then I just found that sleep was my specialty. That's what most parents wanted support with. That's what I was passionate about, um, helping families with sleep and just to understand their child on a deeper level. So I kind of just transitioned to, to doing all sleep. As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. That's really neat. I, I love it because it takes somebody who is passionate about it to be able to spread the the good news like you're talking about right now. And I'm with you 100%. Like if I didn't have my mother-in-law who was like, oh my gosh, it's so much easier to have your baby in your bed. What are you talking about? You do feel like because the pediatricians and everybody tell you don't do this. You know, every every class we took coming up to pregnancy, it was like, do not bed share. You know, you can harm them. They can SIDS and all this stuff. And so you're like, oh my gosh. But then when it's easier and it's working and it feels right, you're like secretly like, okay, until somebody says, oh yeah, we do that too. And then all of a sudden that kind of release and like, yes, this is actually normal. And there are a lot of women doing it and it's a good thing. Um, so I appreciate that a ton. And I know that the women listening, I, I mean, I hope that they're going to hear this and be like, ah, oh, sigh of relief, right? Like there's a safe way to do this. And that's really cool. Um, can we talk for a moment about infant sleep? Because you talked about societal norms versus biological norms, or you kind of mentioned that before we go into that a little further. Yeah. So society, and I mean, obviously this is very general speaking. I know it's not like this necessarily everywhere in the world, but we're, I'm in the States. I know like what, this is really Western culture. And I think it's, it's spreading to other parts of the world from what I can tell, but societal standards of infant sleep are basically that babies will just continue to improve in their sleep, um, very quickly after they're born. So within a couple of months, babies should be sleeping through the night and they should be sleeping independently in a crib without any support. They should be putting themselves to sleep. They shouldn't need night feeds after a certain age. Who, you know, what age that is will depend on who you're talking to. Some people will say at six months, they don't need night feeds. Some people will say at four months. Some people will say once they've doubled their birth weight. All of these just ridiculous, arbitrary rules and guidelines that really are not rooted in any kind of evidence at all. Um, but the point being that 
that after a certain point, infants shouldn't need night feeds anymore. And they should just be sleeping through the night. So we really have this focus um, as a society on independent and early consolidation of sleep as opposed to what infant sleep actually looks like. And all babies are different. So you might have a baby who does sleep really well. I mean, there are babies out there. I'm very jealous of you. (laughs) If you are someone who has babies who are just good sleepers, because I haven't experienced that myself, but there are babies out there who do sleep um, longer stretches earlier on and who wean night feeds earlier. But that is not the case for most babies. And that should not be the case for all babies because all babies are different and they have different needs. And then we, you know, we could get into like even things like breast storage capacity, which is so important, which we won't get into. Um, But like (laughs) that does make a difference because some women literally cannot go four, five, six hours at night without feeding Mm. their baby and keep their milk supply up. Some babies and women can, some can't. So that's important to know. Um, But in terms of what is, what does sleep actually look like? I mean, it varies, but sleep is often very disrupted and fragmented, especially in the first year of life, really. You know, I think it's really interesting because I think, especially as new parents, when we go into parenthood and just from what we've seen on TV and in the movies and from our, you know, maybe our family and friends and things like that, we have this expectation that sleep might be really hard initially, like in the early months, but then after like three, four, five, six months, they should be sleeping independently. The reality is that there's been research done survey-based research to show that most parents are reporting increased disruptions in sleep from four to 12 months. So most babies, not, I wouldn't say most babies, many babies are sleeping pretty well in those first few months, um, in the fourth trimester. And because they, they have something called a stimulus barrier, which basically means they are able, their bodies are able to, um, not attend to excess stimuli that they don't need. And so that's why you might have a one month old or a two month old who can sleep when your toddler's screaming in the same room and it won't wake them up. But once they hit three or four months old, that stimulus barrier starts to wear off and they're becoming more alert, more aware of their surroundings. And they're more likely to wake up to those things or more likely to have difficulty getting to sleep, et cetera. Um, so, and because of all of the, we have cognitive changes going on. We have tons of motor milestones happening. Um, we have lots of changes in development happening, especially within those four to six months that oftentimes that period is really hard for parents and they're not expecting it, which makes it even harder. Night feeds are very normal. Night needing um, nighttime nutrition is super normal up until the first year, even beyond for some toddlers. Um, And so that is, oh, and needing support to get to sleep. You know, not all babies can fall asleep independently. Some can, but many cannot. Many need help to calm themselves and regulate their nervous systems in order to be able to drift off to sleep. And that's normal. And a lot of this is more of a temperamental um, state. It's more of based on your baby's temperament and personality, not something that is like a skill that they need to learn or you need to teach them how to put themselves to sleep. It's often that babies can either put themselves to sleep or they need more support for a longer time. And it's not something that you can train them out of. It's just something that when we're offering the co-regulation and the support, that is what is going to help them learn to self-regulate and put themselves to sleep. But it takes time, right? It's not, it's not an overnight thing. Yeah. So if you were to kind of like sum up everything you just went through and you wanted to say something to like new moms that are getting ready to have their kids, like what is 
some positive word of advice that you could give them to like say this out loud 10 times a day to remind yourself like this is the norm? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say how your baby's sleeping is not a reflection of who you are as a parent or even who your baby is as a baby. Right. Um, And so I think that most parents, most moms, especially just find so much reassurement, reassurement and encouragement in just knowing that their baby isn't abnormal because that's what they think. Parents think moms think, oh, my baby needs to sleep on me. Um, so there must be something wrong with them. There is most likely nothing wrong with your baby. The majority of parents probably, you probably have babies that are sleeping very, very normally. Um, it's normal for them to need closeness and contact and you're not doing anything wrong. The best thing that you can do for your baby's development and for your baby to eventually learn in time to sleep on their own, they'll, they'll probably be a child at that point. Um, but the best thing that you can do is just be responsive to their needs. And some babies are going to have more needs than others. Yeah. Well, and I think as a mother like that, it's good for us too, you know, to like respond and to feel that we're giving them what they need. Like it makes us feel like good mothers. Yes, exactly. Um, Okay. You talked about bed sharing a little bit. Um, Do you have a moment to talk about bed sharing safety, kind of how you do that safely, what that would look like for moms who after listening to this are like, yes, I would like to do that. (laughs) Yes. So um, a really brief succinct um, little guideline for safe bed sharing is called the Safe Sleep 7. I believe it was developed by La Leche League. Um, so you can look at that. But basically, it's um, the, the standards or the rules to bed share as safe as possible are that baby is full term, baby is not swaddled, baby needs to be on a, um, a safe environment in a safe bed. So there's no pillows or blankets or anything that can be in baby's face, no bed sharing on chairs or couches. That's the thing that a lot of parents run into when they're really opposed to bed sharing or, you know, people in their life are really opposed to bed sharing and they're, they're scaring them about it is that they're resisting bed sharing so much that they'll often fall asleep with their babies on a rocking chair or a couch. And that is never safe. So if you're bed sharing, it should be in a bed, um, preferably a bed lower to the ground, especially if you have a more mobile baby um, and no alcohol. So mom or whoever, whatever caregivers are sleeping in the bed have not had any alcohol or drugs or anything that could cause their um, them to be under the influence of something baby is not swaddled. So, um, baby, it is not safe to have babies swaddled in bed. I didn't pull up the safe sleep seven. I I wish I had to just read these off, but I think I got most of them, but basically just a safe environment, making sure there's nothing baby can suffocate on or anything that could strangle baby. A big one is like, if moms have long hair to tie them back because long hair is actually a strangulation hazard for babies. Um, no blankets around baby's face or anything like that. Oh, and then the, one of the more important ones is that, um, you know, the, the experts that have studied bed sharing and how to keep babies as safe as possible while bed sharing have said that it is safest to have a breastfeeding relationship. So a mom and baby who have a breastfeeding relationship are bed sharing and that if possible, um, if you are not breastfeeding, then they can, if baby could sleep in a separate surface and do separate surface co-sleeping, which means just a bassinet next to the bed or the crib next to the bed or something like that. Um, so again, those are just like the, the standard guidelines. There's a lot more detailed information. If you look at the safe sleep seven, and then also professor James McKenna 
has a great website with lots of research. And he also has kind of more in-depth safe bed sharing guidelines. And his website is cosleeping.nd.edu. You mentioned just a second ago, you were talking about that one of the safe things had to do with a mom that had a breastfeeding relationship. What is the idea behind that versus a mom who bottle feeds? Yeah, that's a great question. So, and you know, this isn't meant to, a lot of maybe formula feeding or bottle feeding moms hear this and they they get hurt by it. And I get that. This isn't to attack or shame um, that feeding relationship. It's just what research has shown. So these researchers um, that have studied moms and babies sleeping together have found that breastfeeding and breastfeeding babies and moms are usually more sensitive to each other's um, physio- physiology and their movements and their breathing patterns. Um, and it's actually really interesting. The other thing they've found is that most of the time breastfed babies, when they're bed sharing, they're more likely to stay kind of lower away from the pillows because their their head is staying right next to mom's breast. Um, whereas bottle feeding and formula feeding babies tend to move around more and they tend to go up higher where there is more risk of suffocation because there might be pillows or or something of that nature. Um, and so those are two of the reasons. But yeah, it just tends, it, it it's that the research has shown that there is actually a difference in how babies move around and how moms and babies communicate and are responsive to each other, depending on their feeding method. That's so interesting. And I love like it makes sense to me, you know, but I, I love that. I love that it exists in such a way that like you're able to explain and can make sex to moms. That's awesome. Um, we talk for a moment about are, are there any red flags if you're like, okay, my baby, like you've explained all these things and we're bed sharing or whatever. And like things just aren't going well. Or you mentioned it could be an environmental thing or a medical thing or whatever. What are what are some red flags parents can look for if they're concerned? Yes. So as a ba- as a mom who has had babies with red flags, this is something that is very passionate or I'm very passionate about because I feel like a lot of the time, um, when you have, when you are in the sleep world, you have like one end of the extremist, you know, people that are big advocates for sleep training. And then at the opposite end, you have people that are very into co-sleeping and no bed, no sleep training and all of this, which is great. But then a lot of times this side also is like, just bed share. Like if you're, if you're having trouble with your baby sleeping, just bed share, just respond to them, just breastfeed on demand. And while all of those things are good, it doesn't address that some babies actually have red flags. They are actually not sleeping normally. And it doesn't matter how often or how well mom is responding to their needs or breastfeeding on demand or bed sharing, they are still not sleeping. Um, so my second son is a really good example of just a massive red flag or my second child, my first son. Um, he would not, so he had tongue ties. So oral ties is something that often causes red flags and can, and can disrupt sleep. Um, but he struggled with sleep for the first five or six months of his life. He would not sleep flat next to me in bed. So that's a red flag. If your baby is not sleeping well, even if you're bed sharing, there's probably something going on. Um, he would wake every 15 to 30 minutes, super restless. I had to hold him. I had to rock him all night. He just wouldn't lay flat and he wouldn't get into a deep stage of sleep. I could tell he was uncomfortable. He was super restless, super, super fussy, unable to be easily calmed at the breast or with me holding him. Those are red flags. Most moms, I think, can tell in their gut that there's something going on. Like if you can't calm your baby down, and this is happening often, not just like one night here there um, or a couple nights here or there, right? There might be teething going on. Like that's a common cause for this kind of thing, but it usually passes. Um, so waking every hour or two hours consistently without ever getting more, you know, more sleep than that 
And especially that when combined with restlessness or signs of discomfort, those are probably the biggest red flags to me. Lots of things could be causing those things. So that's kind of um, like the main starting point is, okay, I hear that this is your experience with your baby. Let's dig a little deeper to find out what is going on. Um, Also gassiness, um, other signs of GI discomfort. If there are any feeding issues or latch issues, that could also be a red flag. Um, Yeah, those are the main ones. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because as you're talking, I like breastfeeding moms. I feel like anytime their baby is fussy and stuff, I don't know if it's like we've heard it or we intuitively think it. It's like, okay, time to break everything down. No dairy. No, you know, we're going to take everything out of our diet and be on chicken and like boiled chicken and plain rice, you know, and that seems to be every like a lot of mom's first fixes. Um, So most of the time I'm like, you know, it's if you are breastfeeding, it's time to reach out to an IVCLC. I recommend them a lot because it's like you can at least um, you know, weigh that area and and decide that that's it or that's not it and check that box. Um, if babies have some of those red flags, though, and you as like a, a sleep professional for infant sleep, and what do you do to help assess moms um, to get to the right place or to help that relationship improve? Yeah. So our job um, when we are working when to one with moms who are having these like red flags that are often more health or medical related is to guide them in the right direction because we can't address those issues for them. They often have to work with a specialist, but we can, because there are multiple avenues of common causes of red flags that we see. We can often, by asking clarifying questions and gathering more information about the situation, we can often direct mom or dad to an appropriate provider that could help them. So whether that's, it's often an IBCLC, um, it could be an airway trained dentist or another type of therapist who is more airway focused and, and specializes in ties. So physical therapist, myofunctional therapist, occupational therapist, et cetera. Um, it might be a food sensitivity specialist. Okay. So if women are experiencing maybe some of these red flags, do you recommend reaching out to a infant sleep occupational therapist or maybe even yourself. I don't know if you do like online appointments and stuff so that you can get them to where they need to go. Yeah. So I don't do one-to-one, one-on-one consults, but I do have a teammate. Um, Her name is Jen. She's amazing. She has the same sleep philosophy and training as I do. And she does do consults. So I always recommend if you're struggling and you don't know where to start, just set up a 30 minute call with her because if it is a red flag, she can usually get like figure, kind of figure out what might be the problem. And then help you find a provider who can do more like a thorough assessment and a little bit more intervention for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to come to somebody who's like, you're a professional in this thing and you have really awesome, great resources that you can lead out to. It's like being a birth doula. You know, I, I know the chiropractors and the IBCLCs and the midwives and, you know, and, and you don't have to go individually searching for all those things. So that's perfect. I love it. And those are, these are, it's really hard to find professionals that are super knowledgeable in airway and oral ties and things like that, because there's just so much bad information out there. A lot of providers will just say there's no such thing as oral ties. They don't really impact anything. And even for the providers that 
are claiming to address oral ties, they often don't understand the importance of like pre-body work and post-body work and things like that. So it can be really hard to find. It's overwhelming for parents. It's like we're constantly, we're going upstream basically to try to advocate for our baby and find somebody that will help us because we know that like this information over here isn't right and we need more help, but we need somebody to actually like a professional to help us. We have to find a team of professionals most often. Yeah, it's tough. No, I love it. I love what you do, though. I appreciate that. Um, you have a freebie for the listeners who are on here. Will you talk for a moment? It is a PDF. It's kind of what to expect for infant sleep and feeding in the first year. We talk just a moment about what that is. And for everyone listening, you'll be able to grab that in the show notes um, after we're done recording here. Yeah. So um, this is a PDF. It's just a resource that I created with, I think, just like if I could summarize all of my education about what, how babies are normally sleeping in the first year and what you might expect. This is it. So we talk about what is normal, which is a wide range as we just discussed. Um, but also some of those red flags and when you might want to reach out to a provider or a professional to help you navigate some of those red flags. Um, we talk about some things, some, some foundational pieces that you can, um, have in implemented to help optimize your baby's sleep. So this is just like, I feel like the PDF that every new or expecting parent really needs to read before they start struggling with sleep and reading like the sleep training blogs and stuff like that. I love it. So you can read it while you're pregnant and you can read it postpartum, kind of keep it tucked away nearby. I love it. And also just for encouragement too. Like if you're having a rough night, just go read the, (laughs) go read the infant sleep, the normal infant sleep stuff. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. Um, Where can listeners find you if they want to follow you on social media or get in touch? Do you have websites and and all of that kind of stuff? Yes. So my website is www.taylorkulik.com. That is where you can book with my teammate, Jen, if you want one-to-one support. She also offers more more comprehensive one-to-one support if that's something that you're looking for. You can also find my e-courses there. So I have e-courses. I have um, monthly rotating topic specific webinars that I do. And then I also have um, a podcast called Let's Sleep On It. Um, And it's my, you can just search my name, Taylor Kulik, and you'll find it. And then I'm mostly on Instagram. So my handle is at Taylor Kulik. Awesome. And all of that, again, will be in the show notes for all of you guys listening. So thank you, Taylor, for your time and your expertise. I really appreciate it. I'm grateful you were able to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. If you loved what you heard today, the very best way to support this podcast and help other moms to find it is to leave a quick review. I read one at the beginning of the episodes and I would love for yours to be next. And if you're ready for even more pregnancy, birth, and postpartum goodness, come join me in the My Essential Birth course at myessentialbirth.com where I will hold your hand and walk you through pregnancy and birth step-by-step so you're totally prepared for a birth you'll love. See you next week.